Amen. You can have a seat. As you have a seat, in the remaining in that prayerful attitude, I want you to just bow your head with me just real quick. And I want you to pray this prayer silently. You pray it to God in your heart. Go ahead and bow your head. Close your eyes. Why don't you pray this prayer? God, speak to my heart this morning. Stir my affections, my love for you. Remind me of why I exist. Remind me of the mission you've given to me. Remind me of the, the relationship that I have with you. And God, I pray that I will be obedient to whatever it is that you say to me. Help as we pray or as we sing. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe, God. Help me to believe and trust you when you call us and call me to risk for you that you are worthy of that exact thing. God, speak to my heart. Stir my heart and my affection for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you prayed that. I hope you did. Um, my name's Kent, and uh, I am one of the elders here if I don't know you. And so Ryan, our primary teaching pastor, is out on sabbatical. This is week three or four, I think, something like that. i got to move this over here because I move around a bit. I may get a little sweaty. and may have a few tears, which is normal for me, so just bear with me. Um, I'll get a little animated at times, so I'll make sure to not knock this stuff off. When I get really wild here. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13. Um, man, th this has been, for me, um, uh, I, look, I've been a believer since I was just a little boy. I was raised in church my entire life. I was born on a Thursday, and I think the next Sunday, I, I swear, I think I was in church. I don't remember a time I didn't go to church. And so I, you know, at six years old, I came to know Christ. But at such an early age in my life, uh, I remember reading Hebrews, and some of it would confuse me, honestly. And then, you know, through all the years, and then teaching it some, I told um, James at the game Friday night, I'm like, you know, when I teach or preach something, a passage of Scripture, uh, man, it makes me dig into the Word. And like, I really, um, I, I've never done that with, I've read Hebrews 13 before, but I've never, like, allowed it to just, man, just to move in my heart. And I'm telling you, I don't have time to, I'm not going to be like last week. I'm not going to try and go through. I'm probably going through too much scripture as it is. I'm going through verse 14 today as we read. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Um, and, well, one, if you have a phone, go ahead and pull it out. And don't, don't be um, looking at other stuff. Pull out your notes or something where you can take some notes. Because I promise you as you read scripture, not because I'm so great, but because we go through scripture, there are going to be things that are going to stand out to you. They go, man, I need to remember that. Um, if you've got a notepad or something, you can take some notes, but please do that. But here's my challenge to you, and I'm going to challenge you probably at the end as well, is that uh, this week, I don't know what your, your, your normal Bible reading is. Some of us don't ever pick up the Bible. We, we only Bible we read is what we hear on Sunday morning. I hope that's not the case, but I know that is the reality for a lot of folks, is that we just read the Bible when we come to church, and it sits on our shelf, or we never open the app. We never take time, even five minutes in a day, to read it. And then there's some of us who can't get by any day without reading it. My prayer is that that will be us. But here's the challenge for you is that this week, just 1 through 14, every day that you'll pick that scripture up and take two minutes. How long it take for Candace to read that? A couple minutes? Give me a break. You can spend two minutes. And this will hopefully recall as you read that on Monday morning when you get up and you start your week. 
What other scripture are you going to do? But I want you to come back to Hebrews 1, 13, 1 through 14 and pray and ask God to use that in your life this week. Because I promise you, I studied this. I wrote, or I don't really write a message. I have my outline and I know where I'm going to go uh, with the message. But I, I put this together a couple weeks ago. And then I looked at it, started looking at it again in the middle of the week. I'm like, golly, this is so good. Um, but as I've gone through Hebrews 13, guys, we just read it. I don't, I'm like, when you look at Scripture and go, look, it's all gold. Okay, it's all gold. But then there's some finer gold that I find. In Hebrews 13, I'm like, man, it stirs my heart for him. It stirs my heart for him. And I spoke Wednesday night over there to the students and the same prayer I prayed walking into that room, I prayed this morning. And as I sat back there in that last song, help my heart believe, God. I'm praying that He'll help your heart believe. That Jesus is not just part of your life. He's not segmented into just part of your life. That He'll become all-consuming in your life. So many times we segment Him. and Well, Jesus is over here, and then I've got my work, and I've got my family, I've got my marriage, I've got... Uh, the, the time I, I don't know, I spend vacations having fun or my TV time. And we put him into a segment. Man, Jesus, he is requiring and asking all of us to say, you're worthy of everything. Like, he's all-consuming. And so when I'm sitting back there, in, or sitting on that stool back there, right before I'm coming up here, I'm praying, God, stir, stir our hearts for you. I do not want to be one, and I don't want you to be one who prayed some prayer to get out of hell somewhat, sometime in the past. Just so you could go to heaven. Give me heaven. Jesus, maybe a little bit of Jesus. Man, I don't want that. And I don't think he, you don't read the New Testament, you won't find that. You'll find people, he had preached an awesome message a couple weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 11, you go through by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. One after another, a person who by faith gave their, their lives and their hearts to him to say, you're everything to me. And that's what he says in this passage. My, my son, I have three, we have three kids, Tammy and I do. We have one that's a senior, a freshman, and a seventh grader. And I, I probably shouldn't have done this because it makes me sad to think about this. And that Paul told me earlier, man, that makes me sad when you say this. Sorry if this makes you sad with your own kids. Some of you are past me or past us in this. But some time ago, I started like adding up percentages of how much time do I have left with my kids in the home. Knowing that we get a finite amount of time. And so uh, my oldest is added up from the time he was born until the time he will leave the home. Unless he flunks out. Uh, which is not an option. And so he's going to get the boot. He's going to want He wants the boot. Nobody got to put a boot. He's going to go... But in August of next year, and I figured this up on a percentage basis, Tammy and I are 95% done with his childhood. And so I got 5%. And tomorrow it's going to be 4.95% or whatever it is. That's what I'm thinking. And so I feel urgency. I feel, I feel such urgency with my kids. Because the temptation for them and for me, because I've lived some time, the temptation is to do exactly the opposite of what the writer of Hebrews says in, in chapter 12, who says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And so I want him, and I want all my kids, I want all of you, all of us, as encouragement to me as well. By the way, I haven't reached any pinnacle of spiritual maturity. 
So I'm a mess on my best day. And I go through the scripture and go, man, I need to hear that. And then this morning as I teach and preach, I'm like, I need to hear this. Because I haven't reached it. I'm a work in progress just like any of us. But with my son, I'm like, I've gotta, we've got to take this intentional time. And so we go to New York a few weeks ago to the city. I hadn't been there in quite some time. And all the secondhand smells that you smell uh, that messes with your brain, your mind. And, um, but I knew I wanted to have a conversation with him. And again, it's not anything he hasn't heard or any of my kids or any of you. It's, it, hey, pursue Jesus. We got Chick-fil-A, we went to a corner down there and just talked and had, probably for him, didn't even think about it. But for me, it's intentional. Of like, it's talking about Jesus, it's talking about purity, it's talking about following, seeking Jesus and that um, the pride that we feel and the pride that he feels just knowing him and what he thinks of us. And so that same urgent feeling that I sense all the time of going, I got so much time here and the clock's ticking. This is the same feeling. As I read commentators about Hebrews, read about this, um, it's the same exact feeling for the writer in Hebrews. Here's what the picture in my mind is. It really, this is my own deal. I picture the writer of Hebrews going, I got so many pieces of paper here, and he's down to the very end going, oh, I can't go to Office Depot. Um, this is it. I can't write on the back. He's on the back side, and he's got half of it left. And he's like, what do I say to sum up? What do I sum up everything in chapters 1 through 12? And so he gets down to chapter 13, and it's like, this is the summation of the book and how we are to live. And so it's some powerful, powerful stuff this morning that we need to be woken up in some way. This past week in our home, uh, about 1 a.m., you ever had the smoke alarm? Not chirp, but I mean, it goes off in the middle of the night. Holy moly. I mean, wake up like, oh, the house is on fire. And I jump up in my underoos and go running through the house. And I barge into my daughter's room, and she didn't even hear anything. I just throw open the door, and she sits up like that, and there I am. And I'm like, she said, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. Go back to sleep. And I shut the door, and I go to the next one. And I go to the attic, and I'm like, you know, I can't get back to sleep for an hour. There's no smoke. Stupid smoke alarm. Drives me crazy. But some of us, in the same way, we have been asleep in our relationship with Jesus. We don't remember the last time that He was living and breathing in us. That He was challenging us. That He was moving you to a closer walk with Him. That you were excited to get up in the morning to read the Word of God. That you were excited to, to see what He was going to do in your life. And you've fallen asleep in that. And we need the same thing to go off in our spiritual lives. Of this, the alarm is going off. And that's my prayer for you this morning as we go through this passage. And we think and consider all of Hebrews, and we're summing it up at the end. And the writer's going, I only got a little bit of space. So what, what I'm just putting myself in his place. What, what is it going through? I, I've got just a little bit left here. What can I say? And brothers and sisters, it's some good stuff. I love what John Piper says about the book of Hebrews, he says this book is radically, listen, this book is radically and practically, okay, calling for outrageous choices and acts of risk-taking love. You hear that? The whole book is calling for outrageous acts. Oh, outrageous choices and acts of risk-taking love on the basis of the promises of God that he'll be all that we need as we run the race for his glory.
That's a relationship with Jesus, isn't it? He doesn't call us to sit back and be comfortable. If that's what you thought when you came to Christ, somebody told you wrong. And we need to preach the truth and tell the truth. Jesus said it himself. When you come to me, you forsake everything, every single thing, and you come and die to yourself so that you can live. And that's Hebrews in a nutshell. He's like, man, he is worthy of you following, but to follow him is pretty costly, but it's worth it. And he's always worth it. He is always worth it. Hebrews was written to a group of people who were tempted to settle for religious activity. It sounds just like us, by the way, in our culture. It was written to people who were, who were tempted to settle for religious activity that was devoid and absent from a relationship with Jesus, of just doing the things, just a few things, and be religious, and do those kinds of things that would make you feel better about who you are. And they were missing Him, totally missing Him, and they were tempted to retreat from and walk away from the mission that God had given them. What was the mission? Y'all know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20? What's the crux of that whole thing? Go and make disciples. And these people were tempted, just like you are, just like my kids are, just like, every, just like I am today, when I leave here, to walk away from the mission that He gave me. They go, Jesus, you're really not all that. I went to church, I'm good. And then not see the mission that He's given me which is to make much of him. Look, his mission for your life is for you to know him and for you to make him known. That's why you're here, by the way. It's not to sit back and just be like, let me just live my comfortable life. That's not, that's not what I see in Scripture. Certainly not in the New Testament. It's to make much of him. Jesus is following you, even in the unknown, the places that are really difficult, really difficult. That's what he's always doing. And it's always, listen to this, it's always, listen, always for your benefit and his glory. Always. So we get to verse 1. Finally, after however many minutes, I'm finally at verse 1. Isn't that good? I did this in the first service and I got myself in trouble. I couldn't even finish the message hardly, okay? So here we go. Verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Guys, if you think... You can cruise through this, like that scripture, and move on very quickly. You should be reading, all of us, hello, Kent, I'm speaking to me. Read the Word of God slowly, deliberately, with intentionality. What's he saying here? And so quickly, what's, what's he saying? Let brotherly love continue. That's a Philadelphia type of love. It, it simply is this. Um, there is no shortage of Look, what's the phrase? Ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. That's right. Because we all have opinions. And we all think we're right. And so the criticism among each other, backbiting, social media, never helps. Ever. I don't know if it's ever helped. Um, but there is such a tendency to, dis, to have disunity. And so he's saying this. Let, let the love for one another. Eric, I love Eric. Eric loves me. And don't let anything come in and divide us, or whoever it is. Sherry, you between me and you, I love her as a sister. We might disagree on a few things, some very core things we're not going to disagree on. We might disagree about some secondary things, some open-handed issues, but between us, oh, I'm not going to let the enemy come in who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and destroy all unity here among you, and destroy your family and your marriages and all that. He's saying this, 
let brotherly love continue. And I'm reminded in John 13, 34 and 35. Yep. Listen to this. this. Oh, gosh. I wish I could just take just these few verses and just spend the whole time, but I can't. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Jesus is speaking here. Just as I have loved you. What was his love? Philippians 2. He emptied himself. So we're to love like him. Okay. That's some, that's some powerful love. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Oh, and this is such a key phrase. Golly, it's all key because it was Jesus, right? <laughs> By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Kyle talked about the swag that we have, the hat. I love that hat, but i got to get one. Um, people are not going to know I'm a follower of Christ because I wear City Church Melissa swag or you got the cool T-shirt or because you say, oh, I go to City Church Melissa or because um, I do, I'm a nice guy. I let people borrow all my stuff. Uh, I open up my home to community events. Uh, I, check this out. People will not know that you're a follower of Christ. He doesn't say this. That because you went on mission for him. Pat and uh, James, Justin Baxley, several of us, we're going to India, we're going to Sierra Leone soon. That, that's not how people will look at me and go, he's a follower of Christ. What does Jesus say there? It's because of your love. That's how people in your neighborhood and that you rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis, will know that you're not just some poser, that you follow Jesus? No. Look, uh, the, for the world, it, it's easy to love someone who loves you, right? No big deal. Someone who treats me right, loves me, easy. But to the person that you can't stand, that family member, that crazy uncle that's done whatever to you, you can't stand. He's been mean. He said awful things to you. To love someone like that, let me tell you, the world will never do that. They will never do that. And so what Jesus is speaking of there is almost, in many ways, it's a, it's a supernatural type of love. And that's how, listen to me, that's how they'll know that you're a follower of Christ. If you see, and this is what the writer's pointing out. He's like, I'm summing all this up reminding you, don't forget this. Love one another. Love in the Philippians 2 kind of love. That you're, you drop all your selfish ambitions. You drop them. And you treat others as more important than yourself. You drop all that and say, they're more important than myself. Verse 2 of, yes, Hebrews. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You're like, what in the world? I don't have time to go into this. I would just say that's a reference to Genesis 18. Um, Abraham and Sarah, when there were three strangers who came, they were angels. But here's, here's the, the whole point of hospitality. That we see the writer saying this, don't forget this, you're going to love each other, and then you're going to show hospitality to everyone. Why? To point them to Jesus. Point them to say this guy's different than everybody else. Here's a diagnostic question for you. Well, let me say this before I pose this question for you to think about. The place in which you live, whether it be an apartment or your home or wherever it is, uh, I hope you believe like this. I believe in a sovereign God. He is in control. His providence, He puts us where He wants us. And the home and where you live, you think you chose it. Like I look at 3211 very hollow. We seem to have chosen it. I believe this. God placed us exactly where He wanted us for this point in time. And if I believe the Bible to be true, Jesus says in the 
in Matthew 5 that we are the light of the world. I'm the salt of the earth. And I am a light. I am to be a light. I hope I am to be a light on Barry Hollow. And wherever it is that you live, that's where God's placed you. Not to just have a nice life. He wants you to have a nice life, I'm sure. But your purpose for living and being there is that you're on that street with neighbors and people you see. You're making much of Jesus in your life, and they're seeing Jesus in you, and you're unlike other people, right? And so here's the question. Here's the diagnostic question for you to think about. If he's saying, uh, don't neglect to show hospitality, don't neglect that because you're here, you're here to point people to Jesus. How many people, how many neighbors of yours, like three or four houses down or some here in an apartment, some other places in your apartment complex, how many, how many people in your neighborhood or what may be considered just acquaintances, strangers, know what the inside of your house looks like? How many people? This is why the writer is saying this. He's saying, you have a tendency to lose track of why you're here. And he says in, in chapter 12, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You were so tempted to get distracted and go this way or go that way. And then on Sunday, you might come back and go, oh, that's why I'm there. Oh, and then you go this way and that way. He is constantly, he, we are constantly distracted. And he's calling us back to say, don't forget. Don't forget why you're here. And so you have that mindset of going, I'm here not because just of me. I got a little bit of time. Time is ticking. I don't know how much time I got left. I don't know how much time you have left. But I don't want to coast into heaven. Good grief. Live a nice life. Retire. Have no, no problems, no big problems. No ever, never ask me to sacrifice. Never ask me to risk. And then just coast into heaven. Brother and sister, mm. man, we need to be running. To say, I am single focused on Him. And this morning, could it be that the alarm bells are waking, going off and waking you up now and saying, I have been too far, I've been too comfortable in the way I've lived. And that God's calling you to a much deeper relationship with Him. Much deeper. And you're here to make much of Him. Paul says this, even at the end of his life, he says, I just want to know Christ. I just want to know Him. And the power of His resurrection. Like, Paul, you've lived this whole life? You don't know Him already? Oh, he knew him, but he wants to know him deeper. That's the thing about Jesus, right? The more you know him, the more you want to know of him. That's what we're here for, to know him. And then the natural reaction to knowing him, you begin to look like him. And then you can't help but display him for the world that is watching you and going, wow, this is something. You're different. You're different. Don't forget to show brotherly love. Don't neglect to show hospitality. To strangers. Next verse. Move quickly. Remember those who are in prison as those in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. I don't have time to go into this. Here's just the, here's the thing. If we, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we're to be, as David Platt said this recently, I love this. I'm an apprentice of Jesus. I'm looking like his heart. I'm, my heart is to match his. It's not perfect. I'm a train wreck. And Ryan would say, I'm a mess on my best day. But I should be moving closer to look like him all the time. Um, remember those who are in prison, that we don't neglect that. Guys, we're, we have people all around the world. People will say, well, you're the missions guy. No, you're the missions guy. All of, you're the missions lady because we're on mission for him. Whatever he's passionate about is what you should be passionate about. We're headed to India next month. Some people have no, just don't even care. Give me a break. His heart's for people who've never even heard his name. Then it should be on my heart. So Jesus 
Help my unbelief. Help me with my heart to look like yours. That's what that is. Next verse. Moving quickly here. Let, oh, this is so good. Again, imagine the writer. He's got a little bit of paper, and he takes time out to write this, which seems a little bit odd that he would say this, but he says, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. What in the world is he talking about? And for the sake of time, he's saying it's almost a callback to uh, Ephesians 5. When, when Paul says it was a mystery that's now been revealed of what marriage is all about, all that time from up until then, it's a mystery. And then Paul says, oh, the mystery's been revealed. The marriage that we have between each other, your husband and wife, it is always, it's to, it's, you got the marriage, it's to point to Jesus, to point to the cross. It's always that. So your relationship with your husband or, husband, or your relationship with your wife, it's to point them. And point others who are watching and go, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And so what's the implication for us? Is that we run to make much of Jesus in our marriage. You cannot control what the other person does. You cannot control them. But you can control yourself. And you focus on yourself to say, Jesus, make me more like you, more like you. And pray for your spouse that he would be more, she would be more like him. And you're working together and say, you would also say this, God, help me, help me to flee from those things, those conversations with the opposite sex who would not honor you. God, help me, God, to have accountability in my life. That I have men, that's why we have fight clubs here in this church. We need accountability. No one wants accountability, but every single one of us needs accountability. And so we need accountability with each other to say, how are you treating your wife? How are you treating your husband? How can we pray for you? You flee from those conversations that would not honor Him, honor Christ. You flee the thought life, flee from watching things on a screen that you know don't honor Him. You want to honor Christ by pointing others to Him through your marriage and not running away from it if it's not just what you hoped for and what you wanted. You run to Him. And it always, He will always, listen to me, every one of you, He will always point you to staying together. He will always... Trust you, uh, points you to trusting Him and staying together. That is so clear in Scripture, it's all over it. It's a picture of the Gospel. And that's what he's saying. That's why it's not out of left field. He knew it back then, he knew it today, that this would be an issue. Let marriage be held in honor. Next verse. Golly. We could spend the whole time. I don't have time to do it. Keep your life free from the love of money. Let me stop right there. This is where everybody gets uncomfortable. Ooh, talking about money. Hey, by the way, if you don't like what I'm about to say, don't get upset with anybody but me. Come direct your whatever, your wrath at me, and I'm okay with it, and I'll just brush it off because it's the Word of God. The writer is saying this is important. You need to free your, free, keep your life free from the love of money. I battle this. I battle it this morning, and I'll walk off the stage. I will battle this, and I'll battle it tomorrow morning. Because, man, I'm so prone to wander. I'm so prone to invest and think this is the life that I've been given and this is all there is to it. So I'm going to live it up. And what the New Testament model for this is and the love of money is that Jesus says you come you give it all to Him. And so when we talk about giving within the church and as believers of, Christ, of Jesus Christ and following Him, the model in the New Testament is not percentage-based. Did you know that? 
The model is, it's where it doesn't even make sense. You're so generous. It's irrational. It's wildly generous. Because you don't see your money as yours. That you're a steward of it. You're just a manager of it. You don't even own it. But then we get in the church and we start talking about this. We don't even talk about it much here because everybody gets, we're, we're, you know, people get offended or whatever. Get offended. That Usually the people who get offended are the people who aren't doing it, who have the close grip on the money. Right? Am I right? Some of y'all are like, I don't like this. That's all right. It's the Word of God. We free, when we come to Jesus, we have such a grip. And then when we come to Jesus, the more we get to know Him, the more we release and go, it's all yours because you're worthy of following. So we're ready to be generous. Always. And so the writer summing up the entire book and he says, this is important enough to sum up. Keep your life free from the love of money. And that's a, probably a daily battle for all of us. That's coming to him and saying, God, help me. Help me release and give it to you. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. Isn't that one of the greatest promises uh, in the Word? He said, when I gave my life to him at six, he said, Ken, I'll never leave you. And here I am at this advanced age. <laughs> and he's never left me. Right? Let me tell you, you know Christ? I don't care what, what you're up to. If you know him, he said, I'll never leave you. And he's saying in this passage, free your life from the love of money and be content. And that's a, that's a, God's got to do that in a lot of ways in our hearts. God, help me to be content. Help me to be content in the presence of God with us, no matter what we're going through. I love this. Is His presence with me enough for me? When the world walks out on me and I feel abandoned, is His presence with me enough for me? When your, your wayward child that you've been praying for doesn't seem to have a desire for Jesus and is running the opposite way, and you continue to pray and say, God, where are you at? And you become disillusioned and discouraged with Him. Is His presence with you enough for you? When you don't know how the bills are going to get paid and you don't know what's going to happen even with your job, is His presence with you enough for you? When you're having problems in your marriage, is His presence with you enough for you? When there are uncertainties that come, when the diagnosis is given and you didn't see it coming, my brother-in-law had to be careful at it on Friday, Thursday to have a four bypasses tomorrow. He's on a helicopter in, in the afternoon. I'm wondering, and Judd knows Christ, is His presence with Him enough for Him? Brother, that and sisters, that is not going to happen for you if all you do is feast on God's Word for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. And you're like, Jesus, you're just part of my life. That is going to happen for you when you say, Jesus, you're everything to me. And you come in that relationship, I need more of you. I need more of you. That is when you can say with other people who know Him well, His presence with me, it's enough for me. It's enough for me. And I, look, I don't know what's going to happen for you in the coming days, but could it be we're all going to hit some storms in our life? That's the question for you. Is His presence with you? Kent, is His presence with me? Is it enough for me? Is it enough for you? You love Him like that. When uncertainty, you don't know the future. Is His presence with you and His sovereignty that He's guiding your life? Is it enough for you? Oh, that's so good, isn't it? Verse 6 says, we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper, I won't fear. What can man do to me? Man can do a lot to you. But when he's with you, shoes. Man, 
the Lord your helper. He's there walking with you, helping you. So I'll never leave. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke you the word of God. This is a, a reference back to people who may have passed on who are other believers. Again, this would be another plug for fight clubs. You need to be with people. Listen to me, guys. See, I don't need to wake up. I can see you sleeping. Um, <laughs> you need to be in relationship with people who are farther along in their walk with Jesus than you are to help push you to pray and for you to imitate their lives. Paul says to imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what we need. And so for the sake of time, I'm just going to fly through that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Cling to the one who rules the world and conquers the grave. Verse 9, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Feast every day on him. Feast every day. Don't neglect it. Go to him. Make a commitment like this week, Hebrews 13. I'm going to read Hebrews 13 every day. Make it a habit in your life. And then verse 10 through 13, boy, do I have to fly through this. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Let's move on. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also, this is such a key verse, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Verse 13, therefore, he said that, so thou... Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the approach, reproach he endured. This is a picture. So you're like, what is, what is that? It's a picture that Jesus was despised. He was rejected, yet he would go to the lost. He would go to the needy. He would find himself among the dirtiest of people because he was not living a life of comfort. He was on mission, and we're to join him outside the camp to go, Jesus, my life is about you. It's about making much of you no matter what, what you call me to do. My yes is on the table. You put it on the map. And where I go on the map, I'm going to find you there because that's what your call is on my life. Some of you all know this. Hopefully all of you do. You're going to know it now. We're planting a church from this church. We're sending a group out. So I've had people who've come to me and come to Pat. Some of you people in this room have already committed as well. I'd love to... Just say that. Some people have committed to do this, but they've come to me and said, oh, congratulations. And at that point, I want to say right back, hey, congratulations to you two, because we're all doing this. It's not just a few select people. I don't know what your role is, but I know this. Jesus is calling us outside the camp. And it's made it clear, He has made it clear in so many ways, and there will always be, oh, there will be people from the sidelines going, you shouldn't do that right now. Uh, are you crazy? We need to do this first. And yet, after praying for such a long time, and from the very beginning we've said, from the very beginning of the church, that we're going to be about planting churches. Hey, there's never a good time to have kids, by the way. You can never afford kids. So you just go ahead and have them. And you'll figure it out. From a financial standpoint. You know, if we were all generous, wildly, irrationally generous, this wouldn't even be a discussion in my church. It will be costly. It will be costly. And just because He calls us to something does not mean it will be easy. In fact, my experience through life has been when He calls me to something and I'm obedient. It's always hard. It's always difficult. And yet I look back in my life and all I see is His faithfulness to me again and again. It began when I was six years old when I heard about Jesus. He put me in a home where I heard about Jesus and His faithfulness there right there was so evident. Now I look back and go, He was faithful to let me hear. My eyes were open to the beauty of the gospel. 
And then at 13, my parents go through the divorce. And I'm in the back of a closet yelling at him, saying, why? Why? Why do you do this, God? And yeah, I look back and go, he met me in the closet. And at 19, when I'm, I'm doubting his very existence, and all I see is his patience with me, saying, go ahead and ask the question. And he reveals himself more and more. I'd love to tell more about that, but he revealed himself more. And I see faithfulness there. And in my 20s, there was a time in my 20s I didn't even want to live. I didn't even want to live. And yet I see God all along the way, His faithfulness to me again and again and again. And so I have some evidence for you in my life. Some of you are farther along in your journey than I am. Some of you are not nearly as far. And I look back at my life and go, He can be trusted. 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 He can be, he can be trusted. He can be trusted. I don't know what's here, but I know He can be trusted. And He's faithful. He's always been faithful to me. And so from a guy who's lived a little bit, and some of you maybe have not experienced this, listen to me. You can trust Him. Stepping out in faith. When's the last time? Listen to me. Think about this. When's the last time you risked something for Jesus? That you stepped out for Him and said, I don't know how this will ever turn out. I don't have a clue. But I know He's calling me. And you stepped out in faith. Let me tell you, every single time I've done that in my life, just like so many of you could testify to this just as much as I could, every time I've done that, He's met me there. And my relationship with Him has grown deeper. And I've walked with Him. And so that's why I have confidence to know that whatever He calls, that I put my yes on the table, He puts it on the map, and I go, He's going to meet me there. Isaiah 30 talks about this. It says, whether I go to the left or the right, I'll hear your voice behind me saying, this is the way, walk in it. He said, I'll never leave you. Here's the problem for most of us though, is we step into that relationship with Jesus and we depend on other people to go to the deep end and tell us what it's like in the deep end with Jesus while we play around in the, the splash pool. You go, oh, is it cooler over there, is it? Oh, wow, it sounds awesome. I don't think so. And we stay and our spiritual maturity is stunted. It's stunted. And we never grow to maturity because we never take risks for Him. All the while, He's over in the deep end going, Come over here! Come on! Growth, maturity, purpose, meaning in your life. The growth that will take place when you step out and are obedient to Him. So what does that look like for you as a church? As a church, I'm going to tell you what it looks like for us. We're stepping out in faith. It may be so stinking difficult. And there may be days you're like, what are we doing? Why do we do this? And then I'm reminded, oh, it's because He called us. Because He called us. He didn't promise it's going to be amazing. He said, I'll just be with you. And personally, so every one of you, by the way, you consider, how do I get involved in that? You're involved. Maybe it's for six months or a year. You come and help. Maybe it's permanently. Maybe it's your giving sacrificially. Irrationally generous toward that. Maybe you're... You're praying. You're encouraging. There's enough criticism around. Let's have some encouragement. So maybe some encouragement behind that, potentially, right? That's what your role is. Now, individually, and I'm going to wrap up very quickly. <clears throat> Verse 15 says, where am I? In my notes. Verse 14, for we have not, not a lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We're living for something else. And so in your life, you're risking for Him. What is it that you need to risk for Him? Could it be for you? going back to your relationship with your spouse, to say, I'm going to risk. I'm going to love like Jesus loved. 
I'm going to take a risk for him. And then you watch him meet you there. Could it be that maybe for some of us in this room, you've come to the line of faith and you're like, ooh, it's a risk for me to give everything to him. And then you've walked away from it. And I don't know about that. And you come up again, uh, and you've nev- you just never have done it. And today, today, listen to me. Today's the day that he's inviting you. He's saying, come to a relationship. Come to a relationship. Because that's where you'll find meaning and purpose in your life. You chase it everywhere else. You'll ne- it's, it will always leave you wanting more, right? Y'all know this? Amen? Amen? You who know Christ know this to be true. And he's calling you to a relationship with him now. So give your life to Christ. Step that line of faith. And I'm telling you, he will meet you there and give you a life you never even thought was imaginable. Of purpose and meaning. Golly, that's what he's calling you. How about that person who hurt you? They wounded you deeply. And you've held on to that bitterness. And Jesus is calling you to say, take the step of faith. Give that to me. Move on. Show grace. Show grace. How about your neighbor who doesn't know Christ? You've said, oh, I need to share Christ with him. For years you've said that. And God's saying, take the step of faith. Trust me. I can be trusted. I'll meet you there as you go. And you go deep in those roots of your life. Go deep within him. Oh, and the satisfaction and meaning that you have in your life because of that. Let me tell you, as a follower of Christ, (sighs) we sang that song, Tis So Sweet, Just Trust in Jesus. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Tis so sweet to trust Him, to take steps that you don't know what. You're going to catch me, God, I don't know. You step out, and there He is. And He says, I'm here. I'm here the whole way. Listen to me. But last thing, and I said this earlier, but this is the picture I have. I want to, I want to enter heaven running to Jesus. Focus on me, okay? Our team's coming up, but listen. I want to run to Jesus. When I'm entering heaven, not sitting back living comfortable, comfortable, easy life without sacrifice or risk, He's calling us. Listen, His optimal desire for you is not to live a life that's free of sacrifice or free of risk. His optimal desire is always, always, always calling you out, saying, I've got to trust you, God. I've got to trust you. And then again, those building blocks of your faith just stack up, stack up, stack up, where you know you can trust Him. And then running into heaven one day, seeing his face, knowing I didn't quit. No, I kept going. My eyes were fixed and focused on Jesus. We're about to sing this song. I sang it as a kid growing up. Turn your eyes on Jesus. You might as well say fix, because the writer in Hebrew says fix your eyes on Jesus. In the NIV it says fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Oh, so powerful. Some of us, for maybe this morning, God spoke to you and he says, you need to fix your eyes on me. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Stop all this bull looking everywhere else. Stop it. He's calling you say, right here, focus on me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run. He's not done with you. I don't care what your age is. He is not done with you. And he's always calling you right now into a deeper relationship with him. Come to the deep end. Come to the deep end. Know me. Take steps of faith. Trusting him with everything in your life. Turn your eyes on Jesus. We're going to sing that this morning. I hope that you'll do that. I hope you will turn your eyes on Jesus, knowing full well that he's going to meet you there when you step out. Let's pray. I want y'all stand and we'll pray. Thank you, God, for speaking to us this morning. God, help us to turn our eyes on you, Jesus. We love you. Um, move in our hearts, God. Give us more love for you, affection for you. Help us to run to you. Help us to fix our eyes on you, God. We love you. Pray, God, as we sing, God, you'll continue to move in our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.